Mark chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 21 through 34, and today's sermon is titled, Take It to the Bank. All right, question for you. What inspires more confidence in you? Say someone has a debt to you and they write you a check, you know, those little paper things. Only Rick uses them here, but that's okay. It's just a reminder, those little, those little plastic things, those aren't free money when you swipe them. That, that is something that you will owe back. Now, someone has a debt, they write you a check and they say, hey, wait a couple of weeks before you cash this. I got to move some things around. Or the person that says to you, hey, take it to the bank. Take it to the bank right now and cash it. Which one do you get more confidence in? It's obviously the second person, right? Now, if you are just getting to know me a little bit, I love words. I love reading. I love writing. I love speaking. Uh, I've loved it my whole life. Matter of fact, I grew up always loving a spirited debate with my parents. Like you just, you got to get into, we, we can call it an argument. You might call it a debate. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. But when you're a kid, you're always smarter than your parents, right? So I won 100%. I was undefeated, especially against my mom. She's laughing back there. I was waiting for her to say something. Now, anyways, I, I graduate, I go off to Cal State Fullerton, I major in communications. So I get there and I look at the catalog of classes I'm supposed to take and on those classes are improv and rhetoric and debate and I, I just loved every one of those. Like I was the person that was wanting to be on stage in an improv moment, wanting to someone to give me a topic. So we get into this rhetoric class and as you become an upperclassman, you eventually get into debates and you get into rhetoric speeches where the whole school would vote on the best speech and you'd become the winner of the, the communication school rhetoric contest. Now, my junior year, I actually won the contest, okay? And here's why. I gave a, a speech and the topic was why Reese's peanut butter cups are objectively better than all other candies on the market. That was my actual topic, right? We were allowed to choose it and I knew this will this, win this thing. All right, so then I give this moving speech, right? It's people. And then at the end, I do this mic drop moment. I repeat the title of my talk and I say, take it to the bank. And I walk off stage and I end up winning the contest. It was pretty cool. It was a high moment for me in my life, uh, which tells you a little bit about me. Now, when we use that phrase, take it to the bank, what we're trying to do is inspire confidence in someone, right? We're trying to say, this is trustworthy and true, and you can take it to the bank. Let me give some examples of this. Angel Stadium is a better and safer experience than Dodger Stadium. Take it to the bank, right? I like feeling safe when I go to the ballpark. Burritos are the best vessel of getting food into your mouth. Take it to the bank right? Better than sandwiches, better than hot dogs. It's, it's got to be a burrito, right? <laughs> Apple is superior to Android. Take it to the bank. <laughs> a resort is light years greater than a campground experience. Take it to the bank. Take it to the bank. All right, here's my favorite one. Aaron Rodgers is the most overrated quarterback of all times and a many times verified horrible teammate. Take it to the bank. He's not on the Rams anymore. All right. Jesus, welcome to Story Church, guys. This is how it goes every once in a while. We're wheels off today already. I'll try and get us back on track here. All right. 
This is why we're talking about this. Take this to the bank. Jesus is going to keep speaking and preaching to his followers, and he's going to tell four more parables or use four more illustrations that Paul just read for us from Mark chapter 4. And what he's trying to do is inspire confidence in us. And he's trying to say, this saying is trustworthy. It's true. You can take it to the bank. And Jesus' main point and what he's trying to get us to understand is this. We pursue faithfulness, God produces fruitfulness. Okay, let me say it again. We pursue faithfulness and God will produce the fruit in our lives. In essence, what Jesus is going to say in these parables is my kingdom, my power, my word, my gospel, my work, it does the work. All you got to do is be faithful. All you got to do is trust me, take it to the bank. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to look at each of these four illustrations, and then I'll close with some application. Let me read through those, those illustrations real quick. Jesus, number one, will say, the light will expose the darkness. Number two, he'll say the, king, or the word will cause maturity. Number three, he's going to say the kingdom will grow. And number four, he's going to say God's power cannot be contained. All right, these are the four illustrations we're going to look at, and then I'll close with some application. First one, take this to the bank. Number one, the light will expose darkness. A little bit of uh, context uh, so we can remember where we're at from Easter Sunday. So Jesus is, is healing people. He's performing miracles. He's casting out demons, and he gains a great crowd, and Jesus sees this opportunity, and he goes out on a boat. He's got a floating pulpit, so to speak, and he, he begins to preach to the crowds. Mark chapter 4 is Jesus' lengthiest sermon in the gospel of Mark. And last week, what he talked about is the word of God and its effectiveness in our lives. So he gave the parable of the seed and the sower and the soils. So Jesus is the sower. He's the preacher. The seed is the word of God. And most specifically, the good news of Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus in our place for the salvation of sins and reconciliation to the father. Jesus says that is the seed. And he is, as the sower, is casting the seed and the soil is our hearts. He gives four types of soil. There's the hard soil, the rocky, soil, the thorny soil, or the soft soft and receptive soil. And as he continues to preach in Mark chapter 4, he's saying some of the same things. Are you receptive to the word? Are you listening to the word? Are you obeying the word? Are you believing upon the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Jesus will just keep going in these parables with these illustrations along the same line of thinking. All right? So with that context in mind, let's read Mark 4, 21 through 23. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to life. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. All right? So let's walk through these quickly. Verse 21 can literally be translated, here comes the light of the world. Here comes the light of the world. How can he be hidden? How can it be put under a stand? How can it be put under a bed? And what Jesus is saying, and he's, of course, referencing himself. If you're familiar with the New Testament, what you know is that Jesus himself is the light of the world, and light is always synonymous with life. And darkness is always synonymous with death. So when Jesus is saying, here's the light of the world, 
here he comes. What he is referencing is his coming and that in him you can walk in the light and in walking in the light, all you're doing is receiving and walking in the life that Jesus wants to freely gift to us. The New Testament is really clear on this. So I'm gonna throw some passages on the screen or you can scan the QR code and follow along with me. The, the gospel author John is particularly clear on this. He says in John chapter eight, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness or will not walk in death, but will have the light of what? Life. John 12 says this, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, may not remain in death. John 1, 9, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world, enlightening, breathing new life into his people. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness, no death at all. And then Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, who? In the face of Jesus Christ. So what Jesus is saying when he says, here comes the light, how can it stay hidden? How can it remain hidden? All he is saying to us is that there is a prince of this world. His name is Satan. And what Satan wants to do is sow darkness and death in this world. He wants to oppose the plan of Jesus. He wants to oppose the work of Jesus. And he wants to do that by getting us to agree with our sinful flesh, to agree with the work of Satan, and to stay hidden in darkness, to stay hidden in our sin, to continue walking in the works of the flesh rather than walking into the open arms of Jesus Christ. And in verse 23, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. He says that again. And what Jesus is doing with that is he's giving an open invitation. Whoever wants to come to me, whoever wants to believe upon me, whoever wants to walk in the light, all you gotta do is come to me. All you gotta do is escape the darkness, walk away from the darkness and do that by walking into the arms of Jesus. Now, here's what I said, take it to the bank. The light will expose the darkness. Here's what I mean by that. Nothing that is dark will remain hidden. Okay, Jesus started a work on the cross on the cross on behalf of all of us. And here's what Jesus did on the cross. Here's what he began on the cross. He exposed all of us as sinners. He exposed all of us as fallen. He exposed all of us as needy. He exposed all of us as walking in darkness and in death. Why would we need a savior to die in our place in, in, if we were not dead in the first place? So Jesus already exposed us. And when we walk in the works of the flesh, when we walk in our sinful tendencies, when we agree with Satan, all we're doing is trying to conceal something that's already been exposed. We're trying to conceal and manage and, 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 and work on something that Jesus has said, I can, I can save you from that. I can free you from that. You don't need to walk in darkness. You don't need to walk in death. I will expose that darkness. Why not just come to me now? Why continue to conceal this and, and manage this? And by the way, the scriptures tell us when we continue to walk in our sin, when we continue to conceal our sin, our bones will waste away. 
I don't know about you, but there's times when I'm walking in unconfessed sin, when, when I'm doing something that I don't want to do. Romans 7, Paul says it. I do the very thing I don't want to do. And inwardly, I feel a lack of peace. And inwardly, I feel broken. And inwardly, I feel like my bones are wasting away. Well, Jesus has said, I've already exposed that. And there is a day coming when he started on the cross, he will finish upon his return. And upon his return, what he's going to do is remake all things brand new. And he is going to eradicate forever all darkness, all sin, all brokenness, all disease, all doubt. And what he's saying is, get in on that now. Come on. Don't wait. Get in on that now. And the very thing that your sin is promising you is the very thing that only Jesus can deliver upon. The very thing we run to sin for, this feeling of freedom, this feeling of life, this feeling of joy, this feeling of hope, it is temporary satisfaction. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come to give you the temporary, I came to give you the eternal. And the very thing that you're running to sin for, I give you now. Life, you want it? Run to Jesus. Hope, you want it? Run to Jesus. Joy, you want it? Run to Jesus. Walk in the light. The darkness will be exposed. Why not? If you have ears here, come to Jesus. First, take it to the bank. The light will expose the darkness. Number two, next thing we can take to the bank is that the word will cause maturity. The word will cause maturity. I'm going to be quick on this one. Remember again the context. Jesus is preaching word-centered parables. The soil, the seed, the sower. It's all about the word of God penetrating our hearts and giving us life. And what does Jesus say in verse 23? Hear me. Listen to me. Here's the truth. If you want the light to expose the darkness in your life, run to the word. Right? Give an honest reading of the word and the word will reveal to us all the broken places in our heart. And not only that, it will reveal to us a saving and forgiving God who is welcoming us into his life. And then in verses 24 and 25, Jesus tells another illustration about the word bringing maturity. Read it with me. Mark 4, 24 and 25. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. All right, we've all heard the principle, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. That's what Jesus is saying in this passage about spiritual maturity. When he uses the word measure, what he's talking about is the measure with which we run to the word. And with that measure, it will be returned to us and we will grow. So here's the plain and simple truth. If you read the word, if you study the word, if you listen to the word, if you meditate upon the word, if you reflect upon the word, if you're in the word with your friends and with your family, you will grow in maturity. You will grow in Christ-likeness. You will look more like the Son, Jesus Christ. God's power will bloom in your life. If we don't do those things, if we don't run to the word, we're not gonna grow. That is the simple fact that Jesus is speaking here. If you wanna grow into maturity, you gotta run to the word. Proverbs 9 says it clearly. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will uh, be still wiser. 
Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The Proverbs are incredibly clear. Jesus is incredibly clear. Take it to the bank. Receive instruction. A fool, a scoffer does not receive instruction, does not receive reproof, does not receive correction and admonishment from the word of God. But the wise man, the one who's growing in wisdom, growing in maturity, growing in Christ-likeness, he gladly accepts and asks for instruction from the word, teaching from the word, correction from the word, reproof from the word. And here's the truth. Our maturity instinctively follows the word. And our maturity leads to greater degrees of submission to God's presence and power in our lives. If we're starving for more of the presence of God, if we're starving for more of the work of God and activity of God in our lives, the fact is we need to aim for maturity. And the quickest way to maturity is along the highway of the word of God. Take it to the bank. The word will cause maturity. Let's keep going here. Third thing, take it to the bank. The kingdom will grow. The kingdom will grow. It's one of my favorite illustrations in Mark chapter four. Uh, Notice how I say the kingdom will grow. These are words of guarantee, words of promise. And Jesus is gonna speak and he's gonna show us two ways in which the kingdom of God is gonna grow in our lives. And, And here's what I'm talking about. When I say kingdom of God, here's what I mean. God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people, Christians, those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, under God's rule, he is our king, he is our Lord, doing God's work in God's place. God owns everything, every square inch of this universe where God's spirit is actively working among us. That is where the kingdom of God is. Now that kingdom is gonna grow in us and through us and among us and around us in all kinds of different ways. And Jesus is gonna say, here's two ways that the kingdom is gonna grow in our midst. Read verses 26 through 29 with me. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. All right, the first thing, the kingdom of God will grow in stunning ways, in stunning ways. This is how we're gonna watch the kingdom grow. All right, look at this parable Jesus speaks. There's a farmer, right? And and all it says is he cast some seed. It doesn't say he dug a hole, he buried the seed, he covered it back up, he watered it, he put some miracle grow on it, he put a little bit of manure on it, he he got it in a greenhouse. It doesn't say any of that. All it says is this farmer scattered some seed, he went home, he put his jammies on, he went to bed, he woke up, he went to bed, he woke up, he went to bed, sleeping night and day, night and day. And then it says one day he got up and it began to sprout. And the text actually says in verse 27, he knows not how. That's funny, right? He knows not how the seed has grown. Now, Katie and I, we have the opposite of a green thumb. Like whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, is what we have. So everything we've ever tried to plant has just died really quickly and we we just can't explain it. So we went to Karen Rogers, who's the opposite of us. She's incredible at this stuff. And we said, give us something that even we can keep alive. And she said, I got the thing for you, agripanthas. Everyone, heard, everyone knows what agripanthas is? Raise your hand. Nope. Wow, everyone else does not have a green thumb here. It's those things right in this planter back here. 
There's some scattered. I'm, I'm getting distracted now. Now, she gave us some agrapanthas. She said, bury these things, put a little bit of water on them, and they're going to live. You can't kill these things. We're trying. We're trying to kill them, but we're not managing it. So far, it's like, wow, that one looks like the next day it blooms, and it's, it's bigger, and it's greener, and it's growing. I don't know how we're doing it, but Karen knew what she was giving us. All we did was we dug a hole. We threw it in the ground. We set the sprinkler settings. We threw our jammies on. We went to sleep. We woke up. We went to sleep. We woke up. We went to sleep. And it's sprouting. And Jesus is saying, this is how the kingdom's going to grow. It's going to be stunning. You will not know how. But here's the truth. The seed grows because the seed is powerful. The word grows because the word is powerful. The kingdom grows because the king is powerful. And so what we can trust is that we're going to be stunned at the ways in which God works in our lives. We will not know how, but what we can trust is that the king is at work. And here is the truth. For those of us who are riddled with anxiety, riddled with worry, riddled with, with stress, sleepless nights, what we can do is rest easy like this farmer because when we sleep, God neither sleeps nor slumbers. When we are passive, God is active. When we are not walking in obedience, God is still working and still ministering on our behalf. And oftentimes, we're gonna wake up and we're gonna see kingdom movement in our lives. We're gonna see people coming to faith. We're going to see maturity in our midst. We're going to see community growing, and we're not going to know how. And all we can do is say, the kingdom is growing because the king is powerful. And what do we do? We worship. We are stunned by the Father. He is actively working in our midst. The second thing that Jesus will say is that the kingdom will grow in predictable ways, not just stunning ways, but predictable ways. The grammar here in verses 28 and 29 says, the earth produces by itself. The grain is ripe. The harvest has come. These are words of guarantee, words of certainty. The kingdom will grow predictably because God has promised it. Okay, God gave us his word and God never goes back on his word. He is perfect promise maker and perfect promise keeper. From the foundation of the world, he has said, my intention is to grow my kingdom, to expand my glory, to receive more praise, more worship. And I'm gonna do that by the kingdom growing in predictable ways among you. The king will get his glory. The word does do the work. The gospel brings about salvation. His spirit breathes new life. The son secures salvation. We always get the joy as we glorify God. It is certainly and predictably happening because God has promised to work. So again, what this should do is give us a rest in the work of the father. We must be faithful. God will bring the fruit. We rest in the finished work of Jesus. We cling tightly to the promises of God, trusting that he will work and we, and we just need to be faithful. Now, let me remind you, you may hear these words, stunning and predictable, and you might think the, the, these are contradictions, but these two things are not mutually exclusive. Okay, just on Friday, Katie and I went to Newport Beach. We took the kids for a day, and I forgot to put sunscreen on, so I am literally on fire under my clothes right now. I am pink, as pink as you can be. And here's the truth. I've been to the beach hundreds of times. I've sat at the banks of the Pacific hundreds, probably thousands of times in my life, and I am simultaneously stunned by the waves while also knowing they're gonna come. 
Time and again, the waves crash. The tide rises, the tide goes low. The tide rises, the tide goes low. Each wave just keeps on coming, and yet I am never not stunned by the Pacific Ocean. These things are not mutually exclusive. We should be stunned by the predictable work of God in our lives. As we pursue faithfulness, he produces fruitfulness. He has said he will do it, and he will certainly bring it about, which doesn't mean we grow bored with God, which doesn't mean we ever expect or presume upon God. It means we are always stunned by the work of God in our lives. Final thing, let's take it to the bank. God's power cannot be contained. God's power cannot be contained. The final illustration Jesus gives us is of a mustard seed, a tiny little mustard seed that produces a massive bush that overtakes the entire garden. Verses 30 through 32. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet, when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Now, church, there's something um, I'm prayerful about. I'm not scared of, I'm prayerful about. Since the day we started this church, we said, we are here to make disciples and plant churches. That's the only reason why you're here. We're not here for a hobby. We're not here because, because we just want to be in Southern California. We're not here because we want to do outdoor. We're here because we want to make disciples and plant churches. Now, here's what I'm afraid. I'm afraid we can look out and say, how is that possible? How are we going to do that? We're new. We don't have money. We don't have a critical mass. How are we going to do that? Now, what I want you to do is I want you to imagine back to the 11 disciples that were remaining with Jesus at the end of his life. Okay, Jesus has been with his disciples for three years, doing work, showing off, glorifying himself. And he promises them, there's a day coming where I'm gonna die for your sins. And then that day comes to pass. We celebrated that on Good Friday. Jesus died in the stead of sinners. And then you wake up on Saturday, it's dark, it's silent, it's quiet. You're wondering, will he be raised to new life? He said he will be, but will he be raised to new life? And then Sunday comes and the women come running to you and they say, he's not there, he's alive. And then Jesus appears to you and all of a sudden you're relieved. You're simultaneously relieved and, and amazed at Jesus Christ. And you're like, cool, he's back with us. We don't gotta worry again. But he says, no, 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 I'm going back to the Father. There's one coming, he's greater than me and he's with you for a little while and he appears to more than 500 and he, he does some ministry again but sure enough he goes back to the right hand of the father and the angel says why are you staring into the sky you've got work to do why don't you go back to a house in Jerusalem I want you to pray and I want you to plead for the one that Jesus has promised to come and so the disciples do that 11 disciples a bunch of woodworkers and fishermen go back to a house and all they do the simplest thing is they pray and then on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends upon them. They're full of the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. And on that very day, they make 3,000 disciples. And then just a generation later, across Jerusalem, there's 50,000 disciples. And then just one generation later, uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth, there's 200,000 disciples. And now, just a mere 2,000 years later, there's a church in Rancho Cucamonga because the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth. But the gospel is this tiny little mustard seed. 
It may seem like something small, but it is something powerful because the gospel is powerful, because the spirit of God is powerful, because the word of God is powerful. So it's just 2,000 years later, from 11 to billions of people from all times, all places, all people groups, all nations are worshiping King Jesus. Why? Because that tiny little mustard seed has bloomed and God's power cannot be contained. So when I say, hey, we're gonna plant churches, We're gonna make disciples. I'm not saying that to hype you up for a couple of minutes. I am saying that to you because I have a mustard seed faith that God has called us to do something here, that there is work left undone until Jesus returns. We are called to preach the gospel, trusting that it's gonna plant little seeds in people's hearts and they're gonna come to fruition and people are gonna come to faith and they're gonna sit in the baptismal and we're gonna gather people up here. We're gonna say, hey, go. Go, you're going to Riverside. You're going to San Bernardino. You're going to Ontario. You're going to Big Bear. You're going to Redlands. We're sending you. Why? Because we want to plant churches to the glory of God. And right now we can look out and say, there's no way this is possible. And yet we trust the spirit of God fills us and empowers us and does the work. And despite centuries of persecution and politics and people opposing the work of God, over the years, there's been hundreds of people that have declared Christianity dead, and yet time and again, the gospel rises and people follow Jesus. We are not without hope. We're not saying this to hype you up. We're saying this because God's power cannot be contained, church. And it's not just on a big scale of us planting churches. It's in your own heart and in your own life. What are you asking God to do in your life? What are you asking him to free you from? Who are you asking him to save? Where do you want him to work? What do you want him to free you from? He can do that. His power cannot be contained globally or personally. All right. Verses 33 and 34. What's up, Laney? With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus explains the truth of these parables to those who are disciples of him, those who have turned from their sins and trusted in him. This is where Jesus enlightens us to understand what he's speaking. Do you have ears to hear? Are you committed to following Jesus in obedience? Jesus does not want fans. He wants followers. Okay, Jesus wants followers and following Jesus means living in the light, letting the light of Christ expose every dark area in our lives and finding the glorious freedom in the light and life of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus means we're committed to maturity, that we will grow to look more like Christ because we are totally submitted to the authority of his word in our lives. Following Jesus means the kingdom of God will surely grow in us and through us and among us and around us. It'll be stunning and it'll be predictable, but we can rest easy knowing that God has promised it. And following Jesus means living by God's power, not our power. This means we run to him with our needs, not away from him in the midst of our needs and we rely upon him. We need not produce God's work in our lives because he has promised to do it. We can be faithful. He will be fruitful. And Jesus is calling us, follow me. Okay. Don't just be a fan of me. Follow me into every area of your life. So how do we do this, man? How do we fight our sin? How do we find freedom in Jesus Christ? How do we grow to look more like Jesus? How do we 
be committed to God's kingdom purposes in our worlds? How do we make disciples? How do we do all of this? Church, we must be submitted to the empowering work of the Spirit in our lives. We must be totally submitted to the Holy Spirit of God leading us and guiding us and convicting us and admonishing us and teaching us and convincing us of the truth of Jesus Christ. We must absolutely be completely and totally dependent upon the Spirit. Okay, church, here's what I mean. When I say be faithful and God will be fruitful, here's what I mean. Small daily acts of obedience for a long period of time in submission to the Holy Spirit of God, okay? Small daily acts of obedience over a long period of time in submission to the Spirit of God. That's how this comes to fruition in our lives. That's how this comes to work in our lives. That's how we make disciples and plant churches, and that's how we fight our sin and find freedom in Jesus. Daily, small acts of obedience over a long period of time, dependent upon the Spirit, okay? This doesn't happen in big, wow, it may at times happen in that way, but most often the work of God in our lives happens over decades of being committed to following him in obedience. Daily being committed to acts of obedience, okay? So what does that look like for you? Does it look like for you today, Jesus is saying, hey, drag that thing into the light, okay? It's already been exposed on the cross. It will ultimately be exposed. Just drag that thing into the light. Confess that and find freedom from that. Does it look like going to the word and being committed to the scripture reading plan, even as we continue on the long dog days of, of the prophets, right? When we get there, okay? We're, we're in it together though, and the word's doing the work. Does it mean being committed to a life of prayer, a life of submission to the word, a life in community, a life on mission. What does it look like for you? Where is Jesus saying, hey, take that one step of obedience to me, that one small step and be committed to it for a long period of time and not under your own power, but by the power of the spirit. Watch God move. Be faithful. He will be fruitful. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus who has done the work, the finished work on the cross, where we know our sins are fully, freely, forever forgiven. We're not paying those sins back. Jesus has already paid it in full so we can have utter confidence in him. On that cross is where Jesus declared your sin is forgiven, your shame is wiped away, your future is secure. And we know there's a day coming where he's going to remake all things and we yearn for that day. But then here and now in the in-between, I pray you would give us faithfulness, daily small acts of obedience for a long period of time in submission to the word. And because of that, God, I pray you would produce within us a holiness of living in the light not being entangled to sin, but finding freedom from that sin. I pray, God, you would produce in Story Church a maturity that only you can bring about and only your word can bring about. I pray, God, you would produce within us a kingdom growth and a movement of your power that can only be explained to your glory and your goodness and your greatness in our midst. I pray, God, we would be a bunch that are collectively submitted to more and more of the presence and power and activity of the Spirit of God in our lives, 
obedience in our lives, faithfulness in our lives, and that over a long period of time, we would see all these things happen. We would see disciples made, baptismals full, churches planted, missionaries sent. And not just that, but we would see people freed from depression, freed from anxiety. We would see broken marriages restored. We would see deep doubt, find confidence in Jesus. We would find anxiety and worry resting easy in the trust in the king of this world. God, you can do that work. And we're just standing here, a bunch of followers of Jesus saying, please do it. Please, Father, send your spirit, move in power, and do what only you can do. Pray all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.